0: There you got my Just ask woman
1: there you got my You are listening to feminist currents. I'm Megan Murphy. I started this podcast over a decade ago in 2012. At the time, few were talking about the things I wanted to talk about feminists who were critical of third wave feminism of the sex industry of attempts to frame things like objectification and pornography as empowering who wanted to focus on women's material reality who were concerned about encroaching gender identity ideology and legislation and who wanted to protect women's spaces had not only been pushed out of mainstream media and conversation, but out of the modern feminist movement and the left. I wanted to provide a space for these conversations, a space for women who felt silenced or who didn't have access to legacy media or online platforms to share their work, their activism, their views, and their realities. So I did. For over a decade, Feminist Current has been a lone voice of dissent in Canada. I've since expanded my work to additional platforms, but Feminist Current remains a pivotal platform for and archive of women's work, movements, and dissenting voices. And we want to continue. But we need your help. Feminist Current has been ad-free, government grant-free, investor-free, wealthy benefactor-free, and fully independent for years. We rely solely on individual donors, so people like you, to sustain our work. Please consider signing up for a monthly or one-time donation by going to FeministCurrent.com and clicking the Donate tab. It means the world and truly is the only thing that can keep us going. Thank you so much for supporting our work and women's speech. Today on the show, I am speaking with the brilliant Helen Joyce, journalist, editor, and author of Trans, When Ideology Meets Reality. Helen is also a founder of Sex Matters, a campaign group advocating for clarity about the Two, that's right, just two sexes, male and female, for those of us who forgot, in law and in life. I had Helen on the Feminist Current podcast back in 2020, and in light of new political developments in the UK and new conflicts on the what-is-a-woman front, I had her back on. Helen... Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast again today. It's been a while. I'm looking forward to talking to you again and hearing about what's been going on of late.
0: thank you for having me on again.
1: Um, so one of one of the things that prompted me to reach out to have you back on the podcast again is that things seem to be changing on the gender identity front in the UK at least. Um, The Labour Party recently apparently backed off of of its original position on gender identity legislation and saying that it would now protect women's rights, women's sex-based rights. I wonder if you can explain what happened there, what prompted that, um, whether or not you think it will actually make any difference.
0: Yeah, so they're very widely expected to win the next election pretty convincingly, which is due next year, um, sort of late-ish next year, although it's not impossible the government will fall earlier than that and we'll end up having an earlier election. And it's important to understand that no matter how much people care about this issue, it's not going to change many votes. There's just so much else on. Um, you know, there's a lot of other things, cost of living crisis, inflation, Uh, All the fallout still from Brexit, whether you agreed with it or not. And uh, more than anything else, just that feeling that the government is tired. You know, it's been a conservative-led government since 2010. So really, very realistically, Keir Starmer is looking at becoming prime minister next year. And he knows that whatever he says about this isn't going to make any difference to that. But what it will make a difference to is how uh, successful he is as prime minister. And the main thing there is what he saw happen in Scotland. Uh, Nicola Sturgeon, who is on this issue, an idiot of the highest order and worse, uh, really decided that her legacy, her social legacy, uh, as um, First Minister of Scotland in the Parliament in Holyrood would be to introduce gender self-ID, despite the fact that Scots don't want it. And she you know, pushed it through in a very authoritarian manner again on the SNP, and it all just really came to a head before Christmas last year, when against last-ditch attempts by um, civil rights activists and grassroots activists to stop her, you know, they really pushed it through before Christmas and then delightfully upturned one of these rapists um, who suddenly got, you know, prison onset gender dysphoria and decided he was a woman after being convicted for raping two women. And of course, now the Scottish government has to try and say why he should or shouldn't be in a women's prison. And she made a total and utter fool of herself. It was such a delight to see her being asked. This man, this man who has a Mike Tyson tattoo on his face, you know, goes around in tight pink leggings, showing his cock, wearing a bit of wig to try to hide the tattoo. Um, I mean, absolute thug. Uh, you know, are you willing to say that he's not a woman? Are you willing to say he is a woman? And she tried to do a whole, you know, she ended up basically saying there were three genders, male, female and rapist. And um, it just it just destroyed her. Now, other things were happening. That's not why she stepped down. She stepped down over allegations of financial irregularity, very serious criminal allegations. But it was clear that she was now a laughing stock and would be unable to govern if she hadn't had those other problems. So I think that was the wake up call. That's what I hear from friends in the Labour Party um, who are very knowledgeable about what goes on behind the scenes. It was a wake up call for Keir Starmer that either he settles this issue to the extent that he can before becoming prime minister or every single damn interview he does will have the what is a woman question. And he foolishly attempted to triangulate for a while. He did an interview in which he said that ninety nine point nine percent of women don't have penises. And uh, he would like what is different between the ones who do and don't care? That's what I want to know, you know. And then he just he just became clear that he wasn't going to be able to do this, and he said, you know, a woman is an adult human female. Now he's never going to apologize to the women who were run out of the labor party for saying exactly that. I really don't think he will. um he's he hasn't reached out to Rosie Duffield. Uh, the Labour MP who's done the most to try to publicise this issue. But that's not really the point. The point is that um, he won't try to impose a radical gender ideology platform, and he is obviously clearly sidelining, side-lining and silencing people within the party who would want to do that. Um, and if the current Conservative government can get a couple of important legislative things through – I think we can be pretty sure that Labour will leave them undone, like un-undone, like it will not try to undo them. And that's a really good place to be in. We've got hopefully a year to get a couple of important things done under the Conservatives and to to be fairly sure that Labour will just let those things sit there on the statute book.
1: Hmm. Interesting. I mean, that is great news. It also feels weird to say that that's great news because it's like a
0: bizarro world that we're <laughs> trying to reverse but we live in a bizarro world. So, I mean, you know, you have to price that into the whole thing. Like, who would have thought you and I would spend our adult, you know, our prime years attempting to persuade people that women actually do exist as a group, that, that there is such a thing as a woman? Mm-hmm. You know, there's so much more important things to be doing. Yeah. But here we are. We have to do this because we can't do those more important things until we do this.
1: And I think that Kier's comments um, were what prompted the current Prime Minister of the UK to then say that. What, 100% of women don't have penises? No, he'd
0: already said that.
1: Oh, he said that before. Yeah, okay. I
0: think he see, displays see, <laughs> so, very well. I know, I know. Like, so Kier decided to go with 99.9. 9. <laughs> yeah, I think it went... Um... I think it went that um, Rishi, Rishi Sunak, the prime minister, said that a woman was an adult human female. Keir said that it was 99.9%. Rishi was gearing up to this being a genuinely useful culture war type issue. Like, it's not a culture war. Women are not a culture war. Sex-based rights are not a culture war. But you know what I mean? Yeah. Like a genuine thing that the Tories could say, look at those idiots over there. They seriously think there are women with penises. And, and Keir got wise and realized that this was really an unnecessary uh, think to <laughs> attack attack line to leave open, I mean, really, yeah, I was listening to your interview with Richard
1: Dawkins recently on his podcast and and you talked about having changed your view on the pronoun issue um and that you had become more hard line on that. He was sort of arguing, well, he said, you know, like I'll use preferred pronouns i e call a male she if that's what he requests. Um, out of politeness, and was also making the argument that you know, what about the men who had paid their dues, which, yeah. to him meant, um, you know, had gone through all of these surgeries and were on hormones and whatnot. So we're really, really making the effort to be a woman. Um, and I'm curious to know what it was that changed your mind on that issue.
0: I, I mean, I don't know that my mind exactly changed. It's, um, it's, a, it's an evolution that I see really almost nearly everybody. Like it's very. There's a few things that people come in thinking are sort of uh, feasible middle ground. You know, they think okay if they've had the surgery. Or they think, um, you know, I'll use the pronouns because that's just polite. Like I refer to people how they like. Um, and the other one that people and um, what else? What are the, what are the other ones? Um, oh, yeah, that toilets are OK. Like they understand that you can't have men in women's sports or in women's rape crisis centers, but they just don't see the issue with toilets. So I would say those are the sort of three things that they, they're like, they're like they've got a magnetic attraction to them when people start to think about this in the first place, because they don't want to be what they think is absolutist. And then over time, as you think about it more and more, I mean, I don't know if this is anything at all like what you experienced, but I've seen it absolutely again and again myself. They, re, You know, you realize that in all of those situations, that is not a tenable line to hold. You know, if you if you if you're willing to call a man or if you if you concede that men can be called she her then it turns out those men also want to be called women, female, mother, sister, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And then you have a big fight on your hands to explain why they can't be in the women's sports and so on. And in fact, you end up sounding transphobic. You know, you end up saying, "I, you know, she, you know, Leah Thomas, she, this, that and the other. But, you know, of course, Leah Thomas is a different sort of woman, a trans woman. And that's not the sort of woman who can be in women's sports. You have to say man. As soon as you say, well, of course, men can't be in women's sports, then the argument is made because men aren't women. Um, I don't argue, and I I still really would never tell somebody else how to use their language because I'm very aware that people tend to come in being afraid of misgendering and they often have spent a long time trying to gear up the courage to speak. And to me, the most important thing is that people are encouraged to speak and in particular to speak up when they see something that worries them. So I'm imagining somebody maybe in... um, you know, in a school who's seeing a self-ID policy and is thinking, this can't be right. Like, you know, I know this child is male and she, because I'm using correct pronouns, is meant to go into the, the girls' changing rooms, but that can't be right, you know, and they're afraid to speak out. They know they're going to get into trouble. And if you say to that person, you absolutely must call that child a boy, they probably won't say anything. But if you allow them to sort of fear and trembling, whisper into it, there's more chance they'll speak. So so I don't police other people's language. And it also annoys me when people s- police my language. So I try not to mirror what the TRAs do. I mean, they spend their time telling people how they should use their language. So the um, the surgery one, I never fell for. Um, one of one of the very few things that Veronica Ivey slash Rachel McKinnon ever said that made a load of sense was uh, when he was arguing with Martina Navratilova. Um, and he was saying um, that he should be allowed to play in women's sports and um, and she was saying something about surgery because, of course, she knew Renee Richards very well. Renee Richards was her coach. Mm-hmm. So Renee Richards is, a, you know, a trans woman, a man who had genital surgery and played as a woman in the 1970s, 1980s in tennis. And um, he said to her, well, what you know, with what, what part of tennis do you play with your penis? And it's like, yes, exactly, <laughs> Rachel. <laughs> You're a man, even when you chop your cock off. It's, it's not relevant, you know. It's your shoulders. It's your reach. It's your musculature. It's your skeleton. Yeah. It's your height. It's, it's not about your genitals. Like... Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it, it was one of those moments when he got it completely right. So, yeah, I mean, honestly, I, I'm not sure about this because I didn't ask Richard afterwards. I had to go. Um, I think he was playing devil's advocate on that bit. And on the pronouns bit, by the time I'd finished saying, you know, if you you give them she, her, they take woman and they take female, he was nodding along with me. So I think he got that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people start out, I'm sure that I did as well, um, start out on that, like, okay, yeah, I mean, being polite is one thing that doesn't matter. But practically, biology, you know, and you start dealing with specific situations. And as you move along, I mean, I think I moved along rather quickly. And as you move along i think you also realize that you're complicating your own arguments i mean it just because logically it doesn't follow when you say well just to be polite i'll call her a woman even though she's actually male and then you get to you know like why does it why does it matter if we call you a woman or not and what does woman even mean Yeah, exactly. Um, But you have
0: to let people do this discovery for themselves, I think, because we have got ourselves into a place where people are so confused. Yeah. You know, if we'd never started this nonsense, there wouldn't even be a question. Unfortunately, you know, literally tens of millions of people have been wildly miseducated and you can't just deprogram people. You can't just say to somebody in a cult, you're in a cult, you know, snap out of it. Of course, he's not the God figure come down to earth and you don't have to do whatever it is. Give up all your worldly goods, yada, yada, you know? Yeah
1: yeah it's too bad because it does feel like I mean in in various levels of cult in cult cult and in the gender identity cult people do often need to kind of come to it on their own you can't bash people over the head um mm-hmm. by yeah screaming and we have to at them
0: but yeah yeah exactly and we have to model the sort of discourse that we want them to engage in like I don't think you can get through to somebody at the Grace Lavery or Rachel McKinnon level of embeddedness in the cult they are too um they're too invested in it.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, but you know, somebody who's well meaning and just has never seen the contrary arguments and has without much thought accepted wholesale the idea that it is massively bigoted to call a man a man if that man doesn't want to be called a man. Right. You know, it, it's an awful lot to just say to them, um, you know, go for it. I I, th- I, I can see the point of modelling calling them men, and I try to do that, but I try not to do it in a way that reads like a rebuke to people. Like social media can be so difficult this way. Like it can really read like you're uh, having a go at people or that you're shouting at them when you're not. Like I've just written an article that came out on The Critic about um, social media dynamics. And we're not evolved to experience these one-sided relationships. Like it does feel like people are mobbing you when actually to each of those individual people it just feels like they're saying, you know, one very reasonable thing in response to what you put out Yeah, it's so
1: Yeah, it's so easy to misinterpret tone. And lots of times when I'm responding and I just think that I'm being straightforward but you know reasonably polite but not adding an extra you know a whole bunch of extra flowery yeah language
0: people think that i'm being a jerk and i'm really not intending to be <laughs> yeah or they say you've piled on but i mean no one person can pile on and I, I think that what are experienced as pile-ons are very very rarely coordinated like sometimes they are sometimes you know there's some group somewhere that someone has shared you know or somebody like owen jones has retweeted you and he's got a, more than a million followers and they all come over to you and shouted you but mostly it's just that you say something and a few hundred people think similar-ish things and none of them read each other's comments and they just say the same thing so if all of those people are like going hey he's a man at you you know it can feel like it's just not a helpful thing to do it can feel like it's a helpful thing to do but I don't think it is so I I do sharply distinguish between the way I use my own language and, and my absolute refusal to tell other people how to use their language I mean, in a personal capacity, I have opinions on how laws and policies and so on should use their language, because I think that has to be crystal clear. I don't know if you saw a really interesting piece of research that um, MBM, Murray Blackburn Mackenzie, they're a Scottish research group, put out a few days ago, asking people the very straightforward question, um, uh, when you see a trans woman, what sex was that person born? And when you see a transgender woman, what sex was that person born? And a third of people either said female or don't know. Huh. across the UK. And I've known this for a good long time that one of the one of the complicating things in polls is that people genuinely don't know whether a trans woman is a woman who identifies as a man or a man who identifies as a woman. Right. Yeah. And it, it varied very much from place to place in London, it was more than 40% of people didn't know. And that's obviously a language issue.
1: Yeah. Yeah. uh, Yeah. I've I've noticed that as well, that people get confused around when you say like trans male, then are you saying somebody who's a female and transitioned to become a man or who's a male but identifying as trans and so on and so forth? Yeah, Yeah, the whole thing is, is, is very convoluted. And again, that's deliberate. Yeah, right. Do you think do you think
0: that's part of the plan? Um, yeah, I mean, the thing is that what they're doing is they're creating a new reality that has absolutely no connection with the actual reality. So, of course, it's going to be hard to remember, but they like you being confused. They want you confused because that makes you um, it makes you feel like it's profound. It's a trick of religions and in particular, very cultish religions, mm. you know, to have the many person in one God and, you know, simultaneously dead and alive and any sort of mysteries like to be able to say it's a mystery, like you're not a, you're not meant to say in what sense Leah Thomas is a woman. You're not meant to think about that. It's just meant to be a mystery. But once you, once you actually think about it, the only sense in which Leah Thomas is a woman is he says he's a woman. It's literally that simple. There's nothing else he does that makes him a woman. Yeah. So if you don't accept that a speech utterance can make you a woman, then he's not a woman, he's a man. So yeah, you're not meant to think about it. You're meant to be confused. It's meant to be an awful lot deeper than that. It's not deep at all, mm. but it's meant to seem and feel deep. And also just to make you scared to speak, like with all the new terminology, like, you know, woman with a trans history or uh, all the new gender identities. And then you end up, you know, you see people. I saw a policy the other day for a women's center and it was a whole page on trans inclusion. And this is meant to be a women only space, you know. And of course, that's infuriating. But the funny thing about it was they had got themselves so tangled up that they said it's a woman only space and woman includes trans women. Uh, And we include non-binary people who are born female, but not non-binary people who are born male. And that's not the exact wording they used. But basically what they're saying is if you're a man who says he's a woman, you can come in. But if you're a man who says he's non-binary, you can't. And I mean, this is just absolutely bonkers. You can only get yourself into this sort of tangle when you don't really understand what the hell you're talking about.
1: Right. Yeah, and I think that you're right, that it does make people scared to speak because they don't even know how to talk about all of this and they don't know what they're supposed to say and they don't know what they're allowed to say and they've confused themselves in terms of this idea that sex isn't binary or is it sex or is it gender? What are we even talking about? Um, I wanted to talk to you a bit about the bathroom issue because I find it, on one hand, it's treated as... um, a really big deal because you know the the chant or the mantra from trans activists will often be we just want to pee we just want to pee in peace you know stop policing our genitals or you know like your your preventing people from participating in public life is what they'll often say around Mm -hmm. that issue because you know there's I'm I'm out in public and there's nowhere for me to go to the bathroom which of course isn't true but and then at the same time the bathroom issue is treated as not a big deal because if you are hard line about maintaining these spaces as sex segregated spaces so only females in one bathroom and only males in the other bathroom um it's almost like you're treated as some kind of uptight, weird, paranoid prude. Like, who cares who you pee next to? What's the big deal? Just relax. It's just bodies. It's just genitals. Um, why does the bathroom issue matter? Or do you think
0: the bathroom issue matters? I absolutely think it matters. I mean, the reason they're so self-contradictory is because they're not people who have any con- any um, intellectual um, Can commitment to honesty or good faith or consistency. You know They know what they want, which is male sexual entitlement, men to be able to go literally anywhere they want, get their cocks out wherever they want, in front of children, in front of women, doesn't matter whether there's consent. I mean, it's absolutely a male sexual rights movement. And they just say whatever the next thing is that needs to be said in order for that end. And so they'll contradict themselves, you know, twice in a a row. They'll say trans women are in enormous danger if they use the men's toilets, but women aren't in any danger in mixed sex toilets. Um, Why do bathrooms matter? I mean, if you go back in the history of single sex toilets, you know, they were actually a huge part of women's liberation because women, I mean, as you know, being a woman, you have to take your clothes off from the waist down to have a pee in the way that men don't. So women are actually pretty vulnerable when they're weeing if um, there are bad actors around. So you need, you need to have, um, you need to design in safety and distance for women from anyone who could potentially be uh, sort of stronger than them, uh, able to sexually assault you know, a rapist, overpower them, that sort of thing. You know, A woman who's got her trousers, her, you know, her trousers around her knee and, and sitting down mid-flow is not someone who can run away easily. And so it's not just the question of you being inside a single cubicle and your privacy. If you look at the way that toilets are designed in public places, especially very high throughput places, places where people drink, um, places where people get leery like pubs or clubs, you you put the women's further down the corridor than the men's, you put them around a corner, you have a door to the whole facility. And then the doors to the actual toilets are at right angles to that. All of these are designing in features that make it harder for a man who wants to commit voyeurism or who wants to flash or who wants to push a woman into a cubicle to assault her. Uh, all of these are features that make it harder for him to do so and harder for him to claim that it was just a mistake. You know, he thought this was the men's, um, you know, he was just, he he was just you know, hanging around waiting for somebody or, you know, whatever. So you design in all these things and... Um, to keep women safe from the people who commit, you know, the very, very, very great majority of violent and in particular sexual crimes. And this design has been so successful that women are often very unaware of it. Like they think, oh, toilets aren't dangerous places. Well, they aren't dangerous because they're designed not to be dangerous. But, you know, it's easy to design toilets to be very dangerous. And we're starting to do that now. So I went to a pub a while ago, which had gone gender neutral in its toilets, and it had done what it thought was clearly, you know, the best practice in going gender neutral, which is to put a sink in each of the individual cubicles and to have a floor to ceiling door. Um, But there were, I think it was six or eight toilets, and they were behind a fire door. This is in a pub, so this is somewhere that people drink and that it's open late at night. And um, you, so you push this fire door and it slams closed and you're in a narrow corridor with three or four doors on either side, all of them big and thick, going floor to ceiling. So not easy to hear what's going on inside them yeah. and all of them available for both men and women. Mm-hmm. And now you think of a young woman who's being hit on, who's trying to get away from a bloke. And every woman has gone to the toilet to get away from some bloke who's hitting on her. He can follow her in and he can push her into one of those cubicles and close the door. And now no one else can hear And so that's just fucking dangerous, really dangerous. That pub should not have got its license because that's the way it works in the UK anyway. You know, when you do these design things, one of the things they sign off when they give you your your alcohol license is the various facilities and so on. This is just too unsafe. But women have forgotten how dangerous that is because they haven't had to use toilets that dangerous. But there's going to be a rape in that place and it's going to be easy, easy fucking peasy.
1: Yeah, yeah, you're right. And I think that a lot of people are not thinking about this right now and aren't thinking about the fact that women actually had to
0: fight for their own washrooms at one point. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's what happened in factories. There were only just, I presume, sort of hole in the floor type toilets and women couldn't use them. So women who were working in factories and the factory shifts tended to be 12 hours. You know, you can't go for 12 hours really without going to the loo and women would go in groups and try to protect each other or they would go out on the street because, of course, you had longer clothes. So you could try and wee under your clothes if women were standing around you. And it was a whole thing like there were cartoons showing men looking out of upper floor windows, laughing and pointing and trying to humiliate women who were trying to relieve themselves and women fought for their own toilets. And because, you know, if you, if you if you had to go to the toilet and you went to the toilet, you got sexually assaulted because, as I said, you're naked from the waist down. <laughs> it's just it's just very easy and, and you can't run. So, I mean, this is so obvious. I think I think people they've forgotten that you designed to stop worst case scenarios rather than thinking like everybody will be nice. And so we don't need to worry about this.
1: Yeah, well, and I think in places like India, like I think that there's third world countries where Women are getting raped in in fields all the time because they have to leave to go pee in the middle of fi- the field and they have nowhere safe to go. So women's exactly. bathrooms are still a big deal.
0: And and it's strange the same places campaign for them to get single sex toilets as campaign in, in rich countries to get rid of them. Yes. you know, And I don't think they ever think about the extraordinary racism that's built into that.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of hypocrisy going on with UN women. (laughs)
0: Yeah, un-women as I call them, yeah. (laughs) Right, that's good.
1: Um, So, you know, recently Paula Scanlon, who was one of the women who swam competitively for the University of Pennsylvania, so swam alongside this guy, Leah Thomas, formerly Will Thomas, she Mm -hmm. testified um, before the House Judiciary about her experience um, not just having to compete against Leah Thomas, but having to share a change room with Leah That's Thomas. Right. Um, so she said, my teammates and I were forced to undress in the presence of Leah, a six foot four inch tall biological man, fully intact with male genitalia 18 times per week. And
0: I don't even think everyone realizes all that that entails. Yeah, so she was at the Icons Women's Women in Sport Conference in Denver a few weeks ago, and I was at that too. It was get great. Um, so uh, this is this was set up by a woman who, for a while, tweeted as swim mom, whose daughter had to compete against Leah Thomas, and she's now um, has, has her name. You know, she's Kim Chasby Jones, and she and others sent set up this organization to help campaign for women's sport being kept for only women and no men. And it was a great event, and there were former Olympians there. Sharon Davies came over from the UK. There were absolute legends of um, US sport, like some of the women who had got Title IX, which is the the federal law that says that you have to that that um educational institutions have to give uh, equal, meaning fair, uh do, dibs to women's sport compared with men's. It doesn't have to be exactly the same, but you know that has to be overall fair opportunities for women, women's sports scholarships, and so on. And they're trying to use Title IX, um to get state laws that keep the boys out of girls' sport. Uh, so, yeah, Paula was at that and she spoke about it. And, I mean, you know, I, it's no exaggeration to say she's traumatised by it. So I hadn't understood until I heard her and Riley Gaines talking about um, competitive swimsuits. So I don't know if you know anything about this, but because the, the way that they're made aerodynamic is by making them extremely stiff and they're really, really hard to get on. Um, and the stiffness doesn't last all that long in water, so you don't use them for your warm-up. And you might be doing more than one race in a day. So what it what it what happens is you go into a big room. There's no walls. There's no possibility of changing under your towel because there isn't the speed and it's too physically hard. You strip completely naked. You put on your practice swimsuit. You go out, you do your warm up. You come back in, strip completely naked again. And then you start this ungainly, undignified process of putting on your competitive swimsuit, which involves you sort of bouncing and jumping and wriggling on the spot while pulling it up inch by inch, which takes minutes at a time, like many minutes. You go out, you do your race, and then you have to get yourself out of this bloody thing again, Ugh. and then you maybe have to do it all again if you've got another race. Yeah. And you're doing this. You know, there's maybe a hundred women in this room with you, and then there's this fucking bloke, God. and it's just and he's, he's just standing there with his cock out, God. like and he's doing the same, like he's putting on the same sort of suit. Like the whole thing is just completely bizarre. And and they think the worst thing for the women, I think even worse than that, like you could maybe you could maybe rationalise to yourself that he's exceedingly deluded and narcissistic, right? as opposed to actually a predator. Yeah. Um, I'm not saying he's a predator. I don't know that. So he could just be deluded and narcissistic. But then you go and you complain to the authorities. You go and you say to your coach and to the sporting authorities and your university, look, you know, this isn't on. There's there's women trying to get changed and there's a biological man there with them. And they gaslight you. They say you're the bigot, that he's a woman, um, that you must go and get reeducated. They offer them counselling to cope with it. Um, Riley Gaines, uh, who had never had any intention of doing any of this work, she was signed up to go to dental school. She wanted to be something like an orthodontist. And they said to her, you know, you're not going to get offered a postgraduate place if you do this, if you talk out about this. You'll be blacklisted. You'll never go to another university. You'll never get a job. Um, you know, they really blatantly said these things to those women. And, and um, as Paula has said, she is a survivor of sexual assault. So all of this on top of that, and and now nobody will help them. None of the women's organizations will help. None of the um, uh, sort of liberal law firms, you know, any of the charities, none of them will help. Like it's the ADF, icons or nobody. I mean, icons is nonpartisan. The ADF is the um, conservative Christian outfit that opposes gay marriage, you know, opposes abortion and so on. And I mean, you know, fine, whatever. But the fact is, that's not everybody's cup of tea. <laughs> so, but I mean, you know, that's the way it is. If you want anyone to stand up for women's sports in America, any lawyer, it's going to be somebody who's against gay marriage and against abortion. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. It's true. Um, I mean, yeah, the gaslighting is it's just, painful. Yeah, it's just insane. Like, I, I'm so, I just get more and more and more upset about that aspect. It's
0: so actually cruel. Like, really, really, really cruel
1: and it's 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 telling people to fight their own natural instincts that are there for a really good reason you know like women have female intuition you could call it they have these instincts and it's there to protect them and to convince women to get rid of that to convince girls i mean it's hard enough to to teach girls boundaries you know that's something that you have to learn in this culture um yes when when you're simultaneously told to be polite and you're socialized to not hurt people's feelings and not to be aggressive and not to be difficult and so on and so forth, you know, like it's hard. It's even hard for people like me, and I'm not a particularly nice person. <laughs> Same. <laughs> I mean, I'm not either. No. I know. I'm
0: finding it less and less hard, frankly. um, As you get older, you get better at it. Yes, yes. I mean, as they say, fucks are non-renewable resources and you run out of them by the time you're 50.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's great. I'm only
0: 43, but I I can feel it. (laughs) I I think you had an accelerated usage of them. (laughs) I think so too. I mean, I was talking to a school recently here in the UK, a sixth form, so that means it only teaches 16, 17, 18 year olds, that sort of age. And they're totally trans, like despite the law not being this here, they have this incredibly unlawful policy of what they call trans inclusion, meaning that you use whichever toilets you identify as. And that's actually against the law in the UK. Like you actually have you can't have um, communal type toilets, you know, the sort where there's sinks in a row and separate um, uh, toilet cubicles with not floor to ceiling doors and not a sink inside. Those have to be single sex. And sex really means sex for under 18s in this country. So that's just flatly unlawful. And I complained to them and talked to them about it and sent them the law and talked about safeguarding and you know <laughs> explained when the what a gender recognition certificate was. And they they just came back with, you know, trans girls are girls and all that bullshit. And I went through the whole formal complaint thing. And then at the end, um, you know, they just they just said, look, trans girls are girls, but then they went off and did a really interesting thing. They hadn't done an equality impact assessment and they hadn't talked to their student council. Now, neither the the student council is irrelevant, like it's not up to children to set safeguarding rules, it's up to adults. But anyway, they did. And the equality impact assessment, (laughs) what you're meant to do is to look at the protected characteristics, which are things like race, age, sex, uh, religion or belief, and say whether a policy uh, unfairly or disproportionately impacts on people with one of those, you know. And they said this policy was good for girls because trans girls are girls, so it was good for them. And so that was absolutely hilarious, although depressing. But then the, the, um, the response from the, the student council was the really depressing one. So they asked the girls on the student council, and these are the girls who put themselves forward to act as a liaison with the teachers. And they asked them what they thought of it. And they sent me some of the quotes from the sort of focus group they had. And these girls were saying, you know, I don't have any problem with this because trans girls are the most marginalized girls. And, you know, anything that we can do to help them to make their lives easier. And it was the most, I mean, I just wanted to shout at all of them. Do you have no self-respect? Get some self-respect, girl, because seriously, if you go out into the world with that level of doormat written all over you. Like you have, you have put a sign on your back saying, kick me and then wipe your feet on me. But anyway, that's what they had. That's what those girls were doing.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's so destructive in, in so many different ways. I mean, I just feel like there's a whole generation of kids who are going to grow up so confused.
0: Yeah. I'm worse than confused. Yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, so I have to talk to you about Matt Walsh. <laughs>
0: <laughs> really, you have to. You, you, have to, you say? <laughs> I mean, oh, you could say no. No, it's fine. <laughs> We're grown I'm
1: adults. Like <laughs> <at them. laughs> We've taught ourselves how to say no. Um,
0: <laughs> no, it's fine. I mean, as,
1: as long as we can laugh at him. Yeah, I mean, we got. We have to. I think. Um, <laughs> I. It's. It's hard to take him seriously, but at the same time, he. He has a large audience. So angry. And, yes, yeah. he's influential and influential, not in a good way, in my opinion. Um, I mean, so. If- for people who who didn't follow all this, of course. So Matt You you, you want
0: a summary of the beef, do you? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I mean,
1: I'll I'll summarize it briefly. You can summarize a bit further. You can add to that. So Matt Walsh, of course, of the Daily Wire, who also, of course, made the documentary What is a Woman? Um, but excluded uh, most of the women who've done most of the work on this issue um, from his conversation about what a woman is. He... Publicly criticized gender critical feminists like Helen Joyce. So he specifically went after you. Oh, um, I, I can say
0: why, and it was fair. Okay. Yeah. So I did an interview a year ago with Michael Shermer, who's a well known skeptic, and in it I criticized by name Matt Walsh on a particular thing in his film. So that's what he was. That's what he was responding to. Someone must have pointed him to it a year later.
1: Oh right. Yeah. So, so it wasn't he was random. feeling a bit petty about that. Yeah. Um so he said that you he said gender critical feminists like helen joyce fail to understand how feminism itself set the stage for trans ideology the trans mania never would have taken hold of our society without feminists setting the stage for it and he attached a longer video explanation of his views on all this yeah yeah so what was he what was he
0: responding to besides the fact that you criticized him Oh God! I mean, the the guy is you know a laughably uh, superficial thinker. Yeah. Um, his argument seems to be based on the idea that there is you know one school of feminism and all feminists think or all women possibly think exactly the same thing, like that we're a hive, undifferentiated hive mind. And I, I saw somebody said a really good thing that I saw on Twitter the other day. Um, you know, men get to have all these different schools of thought. You know, they can be libertarians or liberals or conservatives or foreign policy hawks or whatever women are just feminists so it's not surprising that there are many different schools of feminism but there's many different schools of manonism. so we don't expect all men to think the same so why do we expect all women to think the same even women who you know would label themselves as feminists so i mean i have fundamental disagreements with many women who call themselves feminists and i absolutely you know if the guy had read my book you know I love saying that if you read my book you will find <laughs> that I did put a significant amount of time into saying where gender ideology came from and it is not a zero influence that a certain strand of feminism had on it I mean Judith Butler is super super influential in this yeah. and I mean she calls herself a feminist is she also she? calls herself they them yeah uh, yeah I mean uh, but I mean she's very influential in gender studies and so on so you, I mean you yeah. can't deny that there's that sort of strand of idioty, idiotic sort of you know, anyone who notices that there are two sexes automatically, therefore, thinks that women are the inferior one. Like that's yeah. the argument yeah. that you have to say that there's no difference, or else you think that women are inferior. Yeah. So those feminists have done us no favors, to say the least. But what you know, what like the idea that we have that that's why we have transgenderism. I mean, it completely neglects the role of fetishistic men. Yeah. Who I regard as the nuclear reactor at the core of this movement, like without them, it would run out of steam. And it also completely neglects the role of decades of sexologists of the John Money, Harry Benjamin type, who firmly believed that what made people men or women was their socialization into gendered roles, and that you could take a little boy uh, chop his cock off and um, tell everybody that he was a girl. And if you did that early and consistently before age two, you would turn him into a nice little girl who and would like socialized dogs. him as yeah. a girl. Then he yeah. would be
1: a girl yeah. and he wouldn't know the difference.
0: Yeah, and then he, he'd give him test you would give him oestrogen and like this guy was a weird, weird man. And I, I mean, I'm using weird as a massive euphemism here. Like, you know, he's the guy who um, told. So there was this couple um, of identical boys, twin boys. David Reimer and his brother, um, and the, and they they were circumcised as babies. And there was a freak power surge to the cauterizing equipment and poor little David's penis was burnt off. And so the parents didn't know what to do about this. And unfortunately, they saw a documentary with John Money in it. So this would be in 1970 or so, I think, around then. And he told them to just take the rest off, like to take the testicles off and bring the child up as a girl. Oh, and, uh, you know, the child in his teens worked out that he wasn't a girl and reverted to a boy identity. And actually both boys killed themselves in their, in their as adults, like one of them shot himself and the other one um, locked himself in a car, I think. Very, very sad. But among the things that John Man he did was, you know, he, he would see them quite regularly and he would get them to mime heterosexual sex with the boy who still had his penis on top to teach poor little David Reimer, you know, how to take, play the receptive role. So, I mean, you know, that that strand of thinking that you can make boys and girls by forcing people into the pink and blue gender boxes is is enormously influential in this. And I mean, can I state the most obvious thing here, which is John Money is not a feminist. (laughs) 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 So, you know, he's just he's so ignorant, Matt Walsh, and he's that sort of ignorant that he doesn't even know how ignorant he is. Like, there he is swanning around the place, you know. Like, he, he did some good work, by the way, in What is a Woman. Like, yeah, getting so, those yeah. genderists to say their nonsense on camera, like, fair play to him for getting, you know, that woman who was a gender studies or, you know, she was a paediatrician or something, and she started on this bizarre rant about how, you know, does a chicken have a soul? Do chickens cry? I can't remember why, but she did. Absolutely brilliant. Like, fantastic work there, Matt. But, I mean, the, the analysis is ludicrously superficial and ignorant
1: yeah, I thought the documentary was good. I thought it was funny, um, and it made some good points. It definitely revealed how illogical this ideology is. Um, but yeah, he's just he doesn't know anything about the history of feminism and the history of the women's movement, and he doesn't know anything about the history of transgenderism, which is strange no, exactly. because
0: he's so attached to this issue and has been for for several years now. He doesn't want to know anything about it because it might ruin his delightful illusions that feminism, feminists are really to blame for all of it. Mm-hmm. Like there's this this saying in journalism where you hear a really, really good story, like absolutely perfect, and you're a bit suspicious of it and people say, oh, it's too good to check. So I think he doesn't want to check like, yeah. where this all came from. He just yeah. wants to believe that it is simply feminists and yeah. that we all think the same thing. So, I mean, what I actually said in the bit of the video, the Michael Shermer video, the clip that he's talking about... um. You know, it, like there were there were some sensible criticisms of this too. So basically, the thing that bothered me the most about when it wasn't the thing that bothered me the most about this, his film, but one of the things that bothered me is like he spends an hour going around the world being manly and you know being the rational voice of God type thing here, there, and yonder, and then he comes home and in his own kitchen, his wife is making sandwiches. I mean, I've asked a bunch of other people like, is he trolling there? Because obviously, the thing that men say online to feminists is make me a sandwich. And I I think he was, I think he was trolling. Like maybe he doesn't know that, but I think he was. And then he says to her, what is a woman? And she says, an adult human female and hands him a jar who needs you to open this. And it just, I look at it and I think, um, you know, the gender role thing here, like, okay, so most of us are are heterosexual and most of us are going to end up in a marriage where the man does more work out of the house and the woman does more work at home. Mm -hmm. That's just the way it is. That's, That's the way it is being a... A sexed species with pretty, and we heavy... actually do often need help opening jars. Yes, but but then you ask yourself, like, why? Why is why is it designed around men? Like, that's actually an interesting question. Like, why are products designed around men, especially ones that women mostly use? Right. So, so there are interesting things he could have said, you know. But
1: well, I don't think he thought about that.
0: No, no, no. Of course not. He's he's just too stupid and ignorant. <laughs> but the thing that bothered me about it was, like, you know, where transgenderism is now. Like what's happening to children, it's overwhelmingly two groups of kids. One of them is little gay boys, like proto-gay boys, boys boys who aren't old enough yet to know why they're so, inverted commas, effeminate. Mm -hmm. But much more than that, it's teenage girls who don't want to be women because women are, you know, the second sex, the supporting actress, the mirror held up to show men themselves back at twice the size all those things that feminists have been saying for for decades and it seems boring I mean when I was a kid I thought that being a woman was
1: boring you know like I thought that it seemed more fun to be a boy and do boy things and you could have adventures and I didn't I wasn't interested in like being a mother or a wife or doing domestic stuff you know it didn't really seem girl stuff didn't seem cool to me
0: but because you're not centred in it you know and i mean i don't i don't want to suggest that everybody has to be self-centred because actually a huge part of becoming a grown up and an adult is learning that you aren't the centre of everybody's life and everything and learning how to willingly and gracefully do things that are pretty thankless for the people you love and that can be go out going out you know doing a pretty thankless job to make the money for the kids and the wife at home it can be loading the dishwasher washing the nappies whatever you know and that's fine that's grown up it's not what you tell teenagers though mm. like if teenagers think the only real human beings the ones who get to go around the world and ask people thoughtful questions are the men while the, the woman is at home making sandwiches like literally making sandwiches and, and importantly, like now there is an opt out, like one of the incredibly stupid things that Matt Walsh said, uh, sorry to keep saying he's so stupid, but he is so stupid, <laughs> um, is that uh, he knows that it's feminism that caused this because it didn't happen before feminism. <laughs> it's like, oh, my God, he can't be that dumb. Um, but there used to be this opt out. So, you know, girls, are, he said like gender roles used to be stricter, but this didn't happen. That's true. That's absolutely true. But I mean, what what's your conclusion there, Matt? Like, where are you going with this? Like, many things brought about this moment, including, as I said, perverted men and, uh, you know, absolutely anti-feminist sexologists. Now there is this idea that there's an opt-out. And if you tell girls you can be Matt Walsh or you can be Matt Walsh's wife, like you can be the person who makes the documentary, does the thing, gets the fame, or you can be the person who makes the sandwiches at home, you will get a lot of girls saying, thanks, I'm not doing the sandwich one including women who are going to grow up to be perfectly happy mothers and wives making sandwiches, because that's not a teenager thing to think about. And then, I mean, I don't think that Matt Walsh has anything at all to say about the little boys who are going to grow up gay, who have to be given you know, a vision of com- that it's completely fine to be a man who is very gender nonconforming and who is going to sleep with men when he grows up and doesn't need to chop his cock off or pretend to be a woman or anything like that. And I mean, you know, if if he has nothing to say to either of those groups, then he has nothing to say on this. He's part of the problem. He's not part of the solution.
1: Right. Yeah. Do you think that he
0: is genuinely
1: invested in this issue? You know, does he think that gender identity is really dangerous to kids and to women? Or do you think that there's something else that he's invested in? And that's why he's talking about this so much.
0: I just don't study Matt Walsh to that extent. I mean, I mean i'll broaden the question out and say people often think that anyone who's right-wing anyone who's christian anyone who's like really conservative is only using this issue
1: Mm.
0: as a a way to bash women a way to you know bash the democrats depending where you are and i absolutely do not agree with that i think there are plenty of old-fashioned sexist men you know the sort of men who are good husbands good fathers really think that you know a woman's place is in the home who are genuinely disgusted and horrified by the idea of allowing perverted men into women's changing rooms and think it's a disgrace that children are being told lies. So, you know, absolutely it is not the case that just because somebody is conservative or sexist that they don't see the issues here. I think loads of them do. I can't tell you where Matt Walsh is on that. Yeah. So
1: do you think that we are making progress?
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, there's a saying. There's a saying by some futurologist or other. Um, he said uh, the future is here already, but it's not evenly distributed. And you know, you can see, you can see in places, mostly here on Turf Island, I should say, but also in some American states. You know, it's becoming much easier to, to say, um, you know, men can't be women, women can't be men. Stop teaching children lies. Don't be cutting children. Don't be, you know, sterilizing and castrating kids these things that you couldn't say, Twitter has been very helpful, being able to say much more accurate things, having people like you back, of course, has been a big deal. Um, But of course, I mean, in Canada and Australia, you seem to be heading towards a degree of lunacy that I could never have predicted. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, things are getting better in places, but in other places they're continuing to get bad. I mean, I do feel that we are going to be able to get back to some sort of sanity, but maybe not in every American state, maybe not in Democrat-led states. Do you have advice for Canadians
1: based on what you've seen happen in the UK um, in places like Scotland? Um, You know, we I I think you're right that it's interesting because we are making progress in some places, some of the red states in the UK. um, And then Canada seems to be getting worse. The conversation's still really
0: not even happening there. I mean it's hard to give advice because uh we've been so successful in leveraging specific things about the legal framework here. And it's obviously been incredibly helpful having JK Rowling here as well. Like it's so in my for case which means that you at least in paper on paper cannot be fired for pointing out that there are two sexes and that that matters. Um I mean, I understand, if I understand correctly, you do have sex-based protections in Canada. It's just that you also have gender-based con- connection, uh, protections and those things are not compatible. So I suspect you're going to have to have legal cases that go all the way. Um, but it, it's, got to be, it's got to be established in law that there is a category of people that is a, the female category. And that, that really means, you know, the fundamental bedrock of one of the two types of individuals that you get in mammals. And that, that is that, that you know, that has some consequences for your rights, your boundaries, and so on. And if you don't have that, you don't have anything. Like women have no rights if they don't have that. Um so that you know, that's the focus. And I don't know from place to place how you get there. I mean, I'm starting to think that in some countries there's going to have to be civil disobedience up to and including going to jail on this issue.
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, I definitely think you're right about the legal cases because that seems to be something that's made a m- massive difference in the UK. Um, I will let you go. Thank you so much for talking with me again. I wonder if there's anything you want to plug that you're working on right now.
0: Oh, Lord, what am I working on? I mean, at the moment, I'm just snowed under trying to get stuff done. I do have a newsletter, the HelenJoyce.com that people can look at if they, and I do occasionally update. Um, the list of podcasts and things I've done although it's horribly out of date at the moment I might try and do that and I've got to try and think about my next book I mean my agent and my publisher are getting very bored with sending me pleading emails saying what am I thinking about but I do have an idea and I'm hoping that I'll get working on that in the autumn
1: awesome um, thanks again for talking with me I am I apologize about my cold I know that I don't sound great right now so I apologize uh, to contagious. people listening also I don't care you're not sneezing <laughs> on me that's true um, okay thank you and I hope you have a great night I appreciate your time thanks very much for having me on Megan look after yourself okay thanks bye 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 I'm Megan Murphy thanks for tuning in to Feminist Current you can find us online at FeministCurrent.com, tweet at us at FeministCurrent, or send us an email at info at You can also subscribe, in order to make sure you never miss a single episode, at www.MeganMurphy.ca. Feminist Current is produced and hosted by myself, that's Megan Murphy, hence the website, We have been ad-free, sponsorship-free, wealthy investor-free, and fully independent since 2012. If you enjoyed this podcast, and if you value independent women's media, by women, for women, no compromises, please consider making a donation to support our work. Just visit FeministCurrent.com and click the donate button.